Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. This is season one, episode eight, and today we have Nicole Lewis Keeper with us. Nicole holds a master's degree in social work and is a licensed clinical social worker. She has combined her years of experience as a therapist and mindset coach to assist entrepreneurs in revealing the blocks and blind spots of their businesses, many of which have origins from past experiences. Nicole writes about the impact of small trauma on entrepreneurship as well, and she is known as the small business therapist. Welcome to the show today, Nicole. Thank you for having me, and I I can't love the name of this podcast anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny because when I, uh, you know, of course, tongue in cheek and saying the F word, but it had a lot to do with the fact that, uh, you know, you go out there, people think one way and I have this little tagline. So I try to do so much of what I do for free because free is scalable no matter where you're at in a marketing realm. And then I always say free. It's my second favorite F word. And then they look up and I'm like behind finance. And then they laugh, you know, so it was very natural for me when somebody said, well, we're going to call it I'm like the F word. Absolutely. So we actually met because of the females and finance group on Facebook. I think you got added by another member if I'm serves me correct. Okay. Thank you for people adding women to the financial services space there um, on Facebook. And I reached out on LinkedIn to connect with you and you hit my heart straight away because you asked to meet for virtual coffee. And it was brilliant for me because I'm a huge coffee addict. I have been posting every single day on Instagram about coffee for more than five years. And it's my first love. It's, you know, I actually went in and the doctor's like, you got to tone it down a bit. So I'm down to one cup a day. I'm not giving it up. I don't care if it saves me a little time on the earth. I'm not giving up something I love so much. But you are super insightful off the, right off the bat. Do you do that with most people when you reach out to kind of connect face-to-face or by phone? Um, not with everyone. It, you know, it kind of depends on, you know, how do we know each other? Who do I know that knows you? Um, and how much do I trust them? And how cool um, are you showing up in the world? And you were showing up pretty cool. So I said to myself, this is someone I would like to meet. Um, and so a virtual coffee is such a great way to do that. And it's so easy. So yeah, you're so special. Uh, <laughs> I know I feel special. I really do. I was like, wow. And to your point too, I'm really picky about, you know, cause it's time out. Time is a non-renewable you know, resource, you can't make any more of it. And so I always figure if people end up in the group, I want to know who they are because they're taking time to participate in that. It's a private group. But I was at a a women's breakfast recently in Scottsdale and uh, speaking. And one of the, the topic we were talking about was this networking versus connection. I'm, I'm not a big believer in the word networking. I think networking is transactional. It's short term. It's what can you do for me and what can I do for you? And I'm much more of a connector, like what we've been able to do. And so to that point, I think that, you know, you, people send you these LinkedIn connections, right? And so I got one that actually said this. So anybody listening to this podcast, don't ever do this. This is, this is what you don't do. And it said, so as we don't, this is an honest intro. 
So as we don't waste each other's time, this is what I do. Does it interest you for us to connect? You have, you know, I thought that was so awful of a way to start off. <laughs> I didn't even have words for that, Nicole. I was like, delete. <laughs> and I don't, I already wasted, you know, 30 seconds reading that delete, you know, and whereas, you know, when we connected, we had right off the bat, you know, I'd said, Hey, happy to see you in the group. And you were like, yeah, let's talk, you know? So I thought that that was really special. I love how our worlds collided, you know, because of this. Um, I'm really interested also, I'd like for you to tell sort of the background or if your story, if you will, about how you got not only involved in the psychotherapy part of what you do, because I think this is really fascinating with what we do in financial services, but how that led to working with entrepreneurs in and on their business. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a little, you know, a wine detail, um, and I'll shorten it. Um, but I was always that person that people told their life story to in the grocery store, on the plane, no matter where I was. So I thought, you know, why not monetize this? Um, and I was also curious about, you know, why people do what they do, because, you know, our past always informs our current you know, situation in some way. And so I ended up, you know, being a therapist for 18 years and worked, you know, mostly with people in the world of mental health, drug and alcohol, employee assistance programs, all those, you know, environments, um, marriage counseling, those type of things. And at about 18 years in, I decided I wanted to work with people in a little bit of a different way because I had gotten into some of my own life coaching. I had you know, seen a coach myself and I was like, wow, there's a really different way of working with people here. Um, and so I ended up getting certified and doing money mindset coaching with entrepreneurs and small business owners. And I saw really quickly that they were not struggling with mindset issues. You know, they were very, they were very in tune with themselves. They were motivated. They were you know, excited about their business. And it wasn't just a flip of a switch with mindset that they needed. What I began to see with their, with their money and with the structures of their business, that they were actually grappling with old you know, wounds from their past, um, old experiences from their childhood that were setting themselves up in their business in ways that were not empowering them. And so as I just thought to myself, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, this is not mindset work. This is kind of like a business therapy type of thing here. And so I started jumping in and doing work with clients around that type of work. And it's been really cool to see what happens for them. So I will share with the listeners that um, one, this podcast episode is going to be unlike any of the others because it's going to really expose a lot of probably my own inner belly because one of the things that Nicole just said that I will share is that in our very first phone call together, you are such a comforting source of making somebody feel that they can trust you. I, sp I shared a lot in that very first phone call that I don't share with most people you know, about what some of the things that had happened with me or my divorce and, and what happened with the money, because that's a really tough topic, right? And so I, uh, I cannot stress enough that some of the stuff that we're going to talk about is a big feeling factor today. And that this is something that does not just affect women. I think it does a lot, but I think it affects both of us, depending on what our backgrounds was. And one of the questions that really got me when I came out to your LinkedIn profile, and you, you stated it right on your summary is, what would it be like if your inner worth was reflected abundantly in your outer wealth? I think that really just knocked my socks off for a second because, I mean, that's just another way that you're reframing purpose, 
right? And so, and I feel like people are searching for it all the time. And for the record, if somebody says to me, oh, you're not looking for your purpose, I call hogwash on that for, as soon as I see somebody, I'm like, that is just a, um, it's almost like clickbaiting for me in social, right? To, oh, you don't need your your purpose. Um, I'm just going to say complete BS on that because not to get religious on anyone, but the most published book in the world is the Bible, right? Okay. And, and okay, granted, the third most published series of books is Harry Potter. So maybe that does tell you a little something there, but you know, it's purpose is something I think we all just want to understand. Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, how did you decide, Nicole, to even tackle such a large uh, idea? Because that's, I mean, people think what I've done in financial services and, you know, corralling women and offering them a safe place to talk about recruiting or inviting more people to the conversation, et cetera, has been interesting. But purpose, I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. So I'd love to know, you know, what took you there? So what I saw were people who were small business owners and entrepreneurs who had a very high resilience factor and very high motivation and extreme skill sets. And those, the resilience, skill sets, motivation were things that they learned over time to cope with some challenging experiences that they had. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to look at that, their purpose was to be free. Their purpose was to have their own businesses and financial freedom so that they didn't have to answer to anyone, feel controlled by somebody. And so the, the purpose that they were seeking in their business had nothing to do with the financial bottom line. It was all emotional. It was rectifying situations, overcoming, I'll show you. It was all of this emotional um, work. They didn't even realize that they were setting their business up for to try and deal with. And so once you realize, wh why am I doing this? What is the purpose here? Is it about financial freedom? Is it about being my own boss? Or is it about the power of being in control of my life? Mm -hmm. What's really the purpose here? When I began to see that and, and began to see where it showed up in people's businesses around trust, around um, the ability to delegate with employees, the ability to charge for their services in a way that would build that financial wealth they were looking for. That's when I started to like pull all these pieces out and say, oh my gosh, we are dealing with something besides just a business structure. Um, because what was happening is they were looking at, they were going and seeking business solutions for emotional challenges like procrastination, not charging enough, those type of things. So, yeah, so it's been a very interesting um, experience to kind of study this, work with people, and start to put myself out there as someone who does this work, and people looking at me like I have eight heads saying, what? <laughs> <laughs> Money trauma? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's, been, it's been fascinating, and I love it. But see, that, and that's just it. it. Like, you say that, and like a wave comes over me, because I'm going to get really, an area of vulnerability for me is money. And I know that seems like really crazy um, and a weird place when you work in financial services because, I mean, money's the root of everything to some degree that we do. But, you know, how common is it, would you say, for women to either feel bad about making money with their talent or asking to get paid a fair salary? Because I think it's probably common. I'll even actually be more honest. Um, I legitimately had to make, a, a, this is recent. This is as in of uh, last week um, that I now make, have a daily affirmation. I know I hear that. And I, as soon as I hear that, I got to be honest, part of me like goes, ooh, and I shut down because I think, 
you know, it's all kind of too kumbaya for me. But I make a daily affirmation that I actually look in the mirror and I daily say to myself, the work I do has value. I no longer do free work for people. And I have to tell you because that is, and I'm telling myself that every day. And the reason why is because I get asked every single day, can I pick your brain for a minute? Do you want to barter services? I, I got to be honest with you. I can't, picking my brain doesn't, you know, it doesn't promote, you know, grow my business. It doesn't grow my retirement. And a lot of times I think that sometimes that I'm almost 50 years old. I'm looking at what's my exit strategy, right? I need to, picking my brain is not putting me toward my exit strategy. And I love to help people. And that's really uh, a really big issue for people who are givers, right? Is that we think, oh, and we're so quick to say yes. And we have to stop sometimes and say nothing or repeat daily affirmations that say I have value and the work, the work I do has value and I no longer do free work. So I don't know. Is that pretty common? So am I I the one with the eight heads? Maybe it's me. It's just you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, first of all, I want to give you some kudos for the affirmation, because I used to be someone who would roll my eyes at this as well. But what I realized that what affirmations do is it is our adult self, and I'm going to get a little woo here, but it is our adult self reminding a younger version of us what, what we're doing here, you know, that, because you know what you have is value, but maybe that little bit younger version of you might be saying, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? You're talking to her. And you are reminding her that your work has purpose and that you do not work for free. So that is why I love affirmations now. I'm a convert. It's just, you know, and it's one of those things that I have to tell you, it's, um, I don't know why it almost feels dirty. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, I should be helping people because at the root of it, I'm supposed to be kind and I am a kind person, but I think there's a tendency to take advantage of situations where people are kind. Okay. And that's an excuse for me. I mean, I I have to have a daily affirmation. And so when it really came time to exercise my, I get paid for this muscle. Okay. um, It was very uncomfortable and I already had to do it this week. I mean, it's only Wednesday of this week, although I know this podcast will come out later, but it, I already had to do it this week. So I'm a week into this and I had to exercise that muscle because that's how often, especially I think people who have a creative talent like you do, where it's all things that proprietary in your brain of the things that you put together and you know what you have to do. And it's the same for somebody like me, who's a strategist, right? Is that I think things through and then there's a tendency to think, I'm just going to ask her a quick question. And, I, and, and they always come in those kind of forms, right? Can I pick your brain? Yeah. I just want to ask you a quick question. Um, what do you think about this? And it's like, and I'm so quick to want to help. And I actually have to stop myself and say, the work I do has value and I don't do free work. I'm sorry. And it sounded really bad. <laughs> I know. And it feels yucky and it'll get better. And, you know, to your question before, it's, it's kind of a norm. And I have, I have uh, you know, kind of feelings about why it is that way and that, you know, we as women in the professional environment, we're really young in that still. Um, we're point. still really young in the ability to own our finances. We're really young in the ability to have a credit card of our own. Um, we're still infants in, in the grand scheme of money ownership and feeling powerful and negotiating and bargaining. We're still really new in that. And so well, how did we connect as women? We had, you know, quilting circles where everyone would come, t- come together 
share knowledge and support. We're kind of conditioned to do that. We're conditioned to give away our brilliance for free. We're conditioned as um, I think as women, I'm going to say it now, we're conditioned to undervalue ourselves because we're just happy to be in the, re the arena. And, you know, as a social worker, you know, with someone who had a social work degree, you know, I took a vow of poverty being a social worker without even realizing it because I wanted to help people. And so money wasn't important to me. So I let my social work professors tell me what I could probably make. I let my potential employer tell me what they would pay for me. And I never thought once to negotiate or ask for more because I just, I was in scarcity. I just wanted the job. And I feel like that that's where a lot of us have been. And so um, when one person says, no, that's not enough for me. I want more. I deserve more. My time is valuable. It's kind of that moment of like, well, who does she think she is? So I think that we're just still infants as women as a collective of learning our financial power. Um, and so we just have to give ourselves some grace. So give yourself some grace. Give that person that asked some grace and just, you know, remind ourselves that we are still learning. I love that. You know, you talk about money stories because uh, we all have them and it's, it's gender neutral, right? It's men and women. Mm -hmm. I think that women, however, and this is my opinion, um, have a stronger tendency to just not be real honest with themselves or and probably with others about what their money story is though. That's, you know, again, I have nothing backed up factually about that that I can cite, but it's my gut reaction. I also think that um, it's really important that we address these stories with women early because we outlive men and that part is factual and it's based on every statistic that's out there, you know, right? So if we don't embrace and understand what our money story is and, and to my point about maybe the, the value issue and things of that nature, um, my, my mom, my mom passed away. I was six and she was 39. My father was just very uh, careful, very frugal with our money. And so we didn't go out to eat a lot or we didn't, those things were such super luxuries as a kid. You know I mean? And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about uh, going out to eat like fancy restaurants. I'm talking about going out to McDonald's. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was a luxury for us that it was only on very special occasions. Right. And yet I grew up having this mentality that we didn't have any value. And then lo and behold, you know, it's like, that's really not what was the underlying part. And it's created a lot of, you know, where it's at in my business life today. So when you talk about that, what do you think, um, you know, what do you think? Is that true for women that we just, that I'm not alone, right? This is not a, no. a crazy and it's, it's for both. It's for both men and women, because how, how do we learn how to be in the world by what we experience when we're children? What the people are telling us around us, you know, maybe the geographical location we grow in, up in, maybe the you know, if we grow up in a religious household, whatever those beliefs are, all those things we download as children and we bring them forward with us into a set. I saw you freeze up and I wasn't sure where yeah, you were. Yeah, so we're so. all right. We're going to pick up where it left off and we'll match them back. But yeah. going back to, um, let's do this. I'm going to stop. Mm -hmm.
So we all have money stories, men and women. This is something I see across the board, really, um, in that how do we behave as adults? What do we believe to be true about us and world, the world in general? Or it comes from how we grew up, right? All of our stories come from childhood. Money stories, you know, um, our beliefs, our spiritual beliefs, you know, shoot, you know, what football team we you know, cheer for, or if we do cheer for a football team, all of those things are uh, that we download as kids about who we are. And so our money story really is um, kind of seen through that younger version, that seven-year-old, that 10-year-old self, where we say, well, we don't have money, we're, you know, we're poor, or we don't have things, or whatever it is that little kid's telling yourself itself about the money situation, we bring that forward with us and it becomes part of our money story. Or if our family says, we're working class, we're this, we're not those kind of people, mm -hmm. wealthy people are bad, all of that becomes a part of our money story. And we do either one of two things with it. We comply with it as adults and continue to behave in the way that we believe that story or we rebel against it and start to challenge it in other ways. And so, yeah, those stories from childhood, they, they really show up in our ability to do, to make changes when it comes to our own money and our own story and deciding if we want a new one or not. And we get to choose that. You know, and that kind of leads me to also wonder with children, right? So whether it's young girls, young women, boys, I mean, all of it. What's the one, what's something that an adult, a parent, a caregiver um, can do to help set up the kids so that their money stories are vastly different from what you commonly see the women you work with today or the clients that you're working with today so that they're not, you know, what, what can we do to do better? Because one of the stories I, I've shared with you before is that when I'm, I'm a, I have a son who's 30, I've been a parent for 30 years. And so when I see young parents come across them, they Every once in a while, they'll ask me, you know, like, what's your advice? And, and, um, and, and I know that young people hate, <laughs> they hate to hear parenting advice from people. So I often say, you know, you're, you're monkey, you're circus. You can raise them however you want. The only thing I do advise them, though, is to refrain from using the word sacrifice and correlating it to your children. So for example, I hear parents say, oh, I sacrificed my body to have this baby, or I sacrificed not going to school, or I sacrificed a career. And instead, that's such a negative, right? And we're in financial services, we understand numbers. That creates an immediate deficit in our value. We already think that we're behind, we're, we're, we're in the red. Whereas if you say to children, you know, man, I just enjoyed investing in you. You know, I invested my time. I invested because the things that come up that I find really fascinating is that like Thanksgiving table times when I hear my 30 year old son say some of the best things he remembers about me is that I brought snacks for all the kids at the baseball games. When in fact, what it really was, was I was at every baseball game. It meant that I invested time. It meant I didn't go to parties. I didn't go, I didn't do all those things, but I never saw it as a negative because I would just sit out there and, and cheer him on. And now I'm reaping the reward of that, you know, 30 years later. So I was just curious if you have some ideas of something that we can very simply do or maybe correct, even if it's just a language thing with our kids. Yeah, so when it comes down to that money story again, you know, where did those kids' stories come from that came for our experience as children, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the most common story that I hear is one of scarcity and no choice. So what mm -hmm. you can do with your children is words matter, just like you said, language is important. So instead of saying we cannot afford that, what you can say to them is we, I'm, we are, I'm choosing not to spend my money on that right now. 
mm-hmm. or we're going to make a different choice or um, not today, but we're going to work towards it at some point. So what you're doing is you're instilling, you're getting rid of the scarcity language where you're saying, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't afford. You're saying we're choosing a different way of behaving around our money. So you're giving them, you're building in choice and you're building in that, um, you're not using scarce language. And the other thing is just to remember, so you have your money story because of what you downloaded as a kid through a kid lens. Mm -hmm. I did too. Have conversations with them. My parents didn't talk to me about money. So everything I knew to be true about it, I assumed I downloaded, I, you know, um, processed through my little seven year old brain and made decisions about, um, so have conversations with them, not in a, in a, going into battle way with them, but just to be honest and say within, you know, within a, within reason, Reason. but talk to them so that their money story is true and accurate as opposed to something they have assumed and was implied. Yeah. And it's really hard with, um, you know, in areas where I guess maybe there's more downtrodden, you know, where socioeconomically people have been that scarcity and having less choice is prevalent. Right. And then you get into the areas where there's affluent. Right. And so scarcity and no choice is not even, you know, discussed. That middle space, too, is a real danger zone to me because you have those with money, those without, and then the ones in between who really don't, because everybody always tries to fit in someplace. And that's just, I think, I think that's just natural behavior of people. We're trying to find our commonalities and connect. And so I think to your point, if we spoke to children in a way that gave them value, gave them ideas, and I, and I think that that's on the, the affluent side of it as well, having them earn things to avoid some of the entitlement. And as well as from, you know, the more that have less, teaching them to, to reprogram their language to we're going to save for this or we're going to work towards that. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing because I had never thought about that. But as, I, as you were talking, I was reflecting on myself in school and I thought I did because you kind of want to aspire to be some of those, the kids who are more affluent. I mean, because they had nicer things and mm-hmm. things were representative of, you know, social, what happens in school, right? Their social circles. Not that that's right or wrong, but it's, the way the world works. And so um, I think that that's really interesting. It leads to that, that mindset conversation too. You, um, it's just got to be harder to change as the age, right? And like I mentioned, I mean, I'm almost 50 and I'm pretty stuck in a lot of ways. Like if you call my voicemail, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if you've ever called my voicemail. It literally says everybody in life has a character flaw and mine is voicemail. Don't leave one. I'll never check it. I am not going to reprogram my almost... 50 years on this earth to start saying, oh, I should really start caring about voicemail. I don't. I am like completely divorced myself of it. But if you send me a text message, and I t- say that in the voicemail, I'm like, but if you send me a text message, I'll get back to you. And it's just something that's with me. And that's, you know, again, why I'm repeating the daily affirmation. I am trying to retrain my 50-year-old brain to teach myself that I have value, the work I do has value, and that I'm not going to do free work. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to feel bad for telling people that I charge for services. Do you find that people, you know, feel bad about that kind of stuff? Is that a normal mindset that some of the clients you see have? Or am I just trying to find, I see I'm trying to find my commonality. Like where are my people? (laughs) Uh, I I think that, you know, all of us need to understand that we're in a relationship with our money. Um, And so, yeah, from kiddo, kiddo on up, all of us, affluent not, we're all in a relationship with our money. 
And when we can kind of identify it, I think it helps us be more protective of it. And it helps us to be more, a little bit more engaged. And, um, and it takes some of those feel bad feelings away, I think. Um, but yeah, that is something that I see a lot where people will feel bad about charging for their services, not giving things away for free, not giving a friends and family discount, mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't serve the bottom line of the vision for their business, not because they're trying to be a jerk. It just is not congruent with their vision. Um, and so, yeah, they feel bad about it. But I honestly can tell you that with some of those affirmations, with retraining your brain and building those new pathways to understand that I felt bad about saying no. Now I feel good about holding my boundaries. Yeah. It does work. It does work. You can get feel it, go from feeling yuck to yum around that. You really oh, can. I like that. I kind of like that. Uh, and so I'm just putting this out there. I really hope that the articles that you write, that you will feel free to share those in the different females and finance communities, because this is the stuff that impacts our ability to sort of catapult our business, right? And I mean, I talk a lot about that in social and digital marketing, but I think what you're doing is just as a, a huge part of that as well. One of the things I run into that actually tie into what you do is that when I talk to business owners about social and digital marketing, Women overwhelmingly are terrible about talking about themselves, giving themselves an ad a girl, even putting their designations or their education on their LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, who nobody care. Yeah, yeah, they do care. You need to do that. So I think that that's something that, you know, you know being 100% honest on the interview like I was today, that, you know, this is a struggle that I have on the daily with different things surrounding the issues. And I, so I'm glad to know I'm not a unicorn. Um, and then I'm not on this, <laughs> not on this. Huh? <laughs> and I want you to feel really, really um, open to sharing that stuff. Cause I think it's really important uh, to everybody that's in that community. So you, I like to end interviews with fun questions. It always kind of scares people and they're like, what's she going to ask me? And I said, today um, we're going to do sort of a rapid random fire. I only have three questions, but I actually, I have to answer them too. So you're not alone. So I'm not going to hold you out there and it'll be fun. You ready? You ready? Yeah. yeah you're ready. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I have to ask is, are you a dog or a cat person? I am a cat person. I have three. Oh, I didn't know you had three. What are their names? <laughs> Sid, Critter, and Yum Yum. <laughs> yum Yum. All right. So I'm actually, so I have both. I have a dog and then Daryl and I got the cat together and he already had a cat. So we're like, you know, we have like, we're commingling our family. That's like the Brady Bunch animals. But I think I'm still mostly cat, but I don't want Toby to hear that in the other room. I, I love him. He's a good little guy. I got a Pembroke Welsh Corgi, but um, he thinks he's a full-size dog. He's not. <laughs> he goes outside to walk and he tries to like muscle up to these dogs that are like seven times the size. And I'm like, Toby, calm it down. Right. We should all be like Toby, right? Right. Exactly. You know? And so second question is, when are you most productive? As much as I hate it, I am most productive early in the morning, like wake up five o'clock early in the morning, especially on a Sunday morning. I don't know. I think there's something underlying about that, but on Sunday morning, but I'm not a morning person. That's what's so awful about it. I hate waking up. I'm not a morning person, but when I do, that is when the magic happens. Okay. So I, I also put down mornings and I kind of was like, wah, wah, because <laughs> I, I know. And I do have a tendency, my, my lights just go doop, and I open up my eyes and I'm awake. Um, and so I'm, I still do sort of the traditional 
breakfast. I mean, you're friends with me on Facebook, you know, I get up and I actually make breakfast for the family and lunches and stuff like that. So I have fun doing it. Food is my, um, my love language with people. I like to make them food. And so, but yeah, I, I'm most productive in the morning as well. And I hate admitting that. Now I won't work on Sundays. That was the one thing that I had, I gave up. I made myself say no more Sundays, but I do work on Saturdays a lot. So somebody's it. It's each pick their poison. Uh, how about, tell me a mistake you made in your life. God, you got it all day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> First husband, second husband. <laughs> no, I don't really think those were mistakes because you know what? You, you learn. Know, think God bless the broken road, right? You learn. Um, a mistake. Wow. Uh, that's a hard one. I'll go first and then you can learn. Yeah, you go first because I'm like at that point where I feel like everything got you to where you are. It is the number one thing that I remind my father all the time. My dad told me, don't invest in Google. That's a waste. (laughs) And I didn't, and I had money to do it and I didn't listen to him. Mm. So I still say to him, yeah, if I had invested in Google, I totally could afford that. <laughs> I haven't let it go. Like Talk ever. about a money trauma. <laughs> it's like right to my heart. So that was my big mistake in life. I didn't invest in Google when I had the yeah. money and could have. Wow, that is a money trauma. So when I think about that, when you, when you say that out loud, yes, the mis- mine's related to money as well. Um, because everything else is kind of fluid and relative. But I wish absolutely that I had started investing in myself earlier financially and that um, I had started seeing my value outside of my degree and what they told me I could have earlier um, because I would be in a different situation. So I, I think that that was a mistake to not take ownership of my relationship with my money and just continue to avoid it and rebel it. That, that's definitely a mistake when I look at my bank account now. I'm doing okay, but I can see it and say it would be different if I had made that choice. I still remember where I was standing even when he told me to invest <laughs> in Google. So like, you know, people have those traumatic moments and that was mine because I go back to that moment and I was standing in an office building in San Francisco and I'm listening to him on the phone and I'm like, Okay, you know. So there you go. So how do the listeners get in touch with you? What is the best way to contact you, find your resources, etc.? Yeah, so I think the best way to find me is on my website, which is nicole.lewis-keeber.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page, which is Nicole Lewis Keeber Coaching. You can always find me there. Um, I'm on the Instagram at Nicole Lewis Keeber. It's kind of a business, not personal. It's a, it's a weird blend of both there. So if you want to see pictures of my cats and, and stuff like that, follow me there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's weird. I mean, I did the same thing too. Like I'll pictures of me speaking. And then the next thing is, I think I posted the other day on Instagram, me looking at the ground because I had been sitting outside waiting for my hotel room for four hours. And so people think travel's so sexy. And I'm like, really? Because I'm looking at cigarette butts and gum. Right. Same. It'll be a picture of me speaking, you know, as a keynote, and then you'll have a picture of, you know, this is my sock, exactly. <laughs> whatever it is. But you know, all my friends, they've got their Insta game all like buttoned up, man. They're like smooth. And so uh, I look at those and I'm like, wow, here's my yeah. shoe. <laughs> uh, that makes it more interesting. So my martini. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know one question I was going to ask you. All right. Eighties girl, what's your song? 
Or who's your artist? Maybe like, oh, who's your artist? Blah, blah, blah. Anything new wave, new wave, but definitely The Cure. I was one of those emo-y type kids. And so um, anything by The Cure, probably. Good choice. Yeah. No, you know what my, my, my uh, coming onto the stage song was, though, at my keynote last week is also an 80s song. It's I'm Alive by ELO. Like, that is my song. That is the one that makes me happy. So. So I was, okay, this is it. George Michael. I'm just going to say this right now. People have no understanding. Like I had a room that I don't, I know there was a wall because it was covered in George Michael posters. But for me, it was like, like I listened to his music and I literally, my life would just stop in those moments while he would sing. And so about, I guess it must've been 10 years ago, he sang in Chicago and I drove from St. Louis to Chicago uh, my ex-husband had something to do and couldn't go. And so my daughter went with me and she was, I guess, Farrah must have been about 13, 14 years old. And so we drive up to Chicago and I get there and he came out on stage and, you know, it's like, everybody like, and I put my hand over to my daughter and I said, I'm sorry, I'm breathing the same air as George Michael. I have to take this moment. <laughs> I was 37 years old and I literally was like, I don't want to hear anything about any of your, your new artist people. I don't even know other names. I'm just like, you don't understand. So when he passed away on Christmas, I was like, Oh, Oh, I know. I know. So sad. Yeah. I'm like that with Robert Smith from the cure. I know. It was like my last Christmas. Literally. I was like, Oh my gosh. So (sighs) it is, I had to, cause you said you were an 80 thing. You put it. I am. I had to. I had to. Walk down memory lane. That's it. That's it. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today and getting to know you. And I enjoy, you know, I enjoy being able to call you my friend and through this process and learn about the different things that you do to help so many people. I appreciate your time, your craft, your participation, your contribution. I'm just grateful. And I wanted you to know that. Thank you. You're wonderful. Um, thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn more about today's guests and the topics we covered in our show notes too. And if you love today's podcast, because I know you do, please be sure to subscribe and don't keep it a secret. Share it. Tag, hashtag, uh, females and finance in your post so that we can engage with you as well. Remember The F Word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you so much.